0: So to begin our message today, I want to ask you, what does prayer look like for you? When you think about what praying looks like and taking some time to pray, what comes to mind for you? Do you have a model of prayer that you use? Do you have a set of things that maybe you pray about or pray for? A set of categories that you maybe pray for? I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, a lot of our prayer times end up being a little bit like a shopping list. We just kind of pray for this, pray for this, pray for this, pray for this, and hope that we can tick everything off of it. But at the end of the day, prayer is supposed to be just conversation with God. It's not supposed to be anything fancy or complex. It is supposed to be an opportunity for us to be able to say to God how we're feeling and the things that are on our hearts and minds, but also to be able to listen to him and to hear what it is that he's got to say to us. And especially when we're going through difficult and challenging times, prayer is something that is so, so important for us because it is that opportunity for us to connect with God in a real and meaningful way and to have a sense of hope in the midst of challenges. But sometimes we do struggle to know where it is that we should start, especially if things are kind of spinning around us. Sometimes it's a bit hard to say, oh, I don't even know where to start praying. And so today, as we finish up our In the Upper Room series, we're going to take some time to look at a prayer that Jesus prays. And it's got a really, really helpful model for us to be able to follow and some key things for us to be able to pray about, particularly when we're going through challenges. So you hopefully grab some teaching notes on the way in so you can jot things down as we go through today's message, if that's helpful for you. And if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 17 uh, because that's where we're going to spend our time today. As I mentioned, this is uh, the final week of our In the Upper Room series, This series that we've been doing in the lead up to Easter to spend some time with Jesus and his disciples and to really reflect on what was happening for Jesus, the things that were most important for him, the things that were on his heart and mind and the things that he wanted to pass on to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion. So just to remind us what we've talked about and focused on, this upper room is a space that Jesus and his disciples went to to be able to participate in the Passover meal, to be able to celebrate the Passover, an opportunity to be able to recognise what God had done for the Israelites so many generations before to set them free from slavery in Egypt. But Jesus has used that meal to be able to help the disciples to think about something different. He's told them this is the final meal that he's going to eat with them. But he said, whenever you gather together, take bread bread and take wine and use that as a way of being able to remember me. Remember what I've done for you and remember what I've told you. After the meal finishes, Jesus goes around and washes all of his disciples' feet in this incredibly powerful but very humbling experience for the disciples where they're confronted with the reality of Jesus showing what servanthood looks like. Jesus has then talked about how Peter is going to deny that he knows Jesus And then he's talked about how Judas is going to betray him. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus has also spoken these incredible words of hope and encouragement, reminding the disciples of why it is that they can trust in God. This beautiful image that Jesus gives of the vine and the branches, saying that all we need to do is stay connected to him and he will do the work that he wants to do in our lives. And then last week we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus reminds his disciples that they're not going to be alone. The Holy Spirit is going to come as the counselor who's going to help them to understand more about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And so, we mentioned last week just this reality that as the disciples leave the upper room and walk along the road late at night heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane, their heads would have been spinning. Just everything they've just seen and heard and processed and that they're thinking about would have left them confused and sad and feeling anxious but also filled with hope and with encouragement. And so Jesus wraps all of this up with this beautiful prayer that we have the privilege of being able to read. It's the longest of Jesus' prayers that we've got recorded in the Bible. And through it, we'll see that there are some key elements that Jesus focuses on. What it looks like for God to be glorified, what it means to pray particularly for those who are following Jesus, and then what it looks like for us to pray for unity as well. So we're going to jump in at John chapter 17, starting at verse 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. Imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to know that this was it. His hour had come, that the time was about to unfold, where everything would unfold towards him heading towards the cross. What do you think Jesus would have prayed in this moment? What do you think Jesus would have focused on? If it was me, my prayer would have started with God, can we stop this? Can we do anything else other than this? But where does Jesus start? Well, he begins with this word Father, which in its original translation is actually the word Abba, which is a beautiful, intimate word that's probably most accurately translated for us As Papa. It's a beautiful sense of Jesus saying, Papa, my time has come. The hour is here. And it never ceases to amaze me that Jesus knew what was coming, Jesus knew what was about to unfold, and yet courageously chooses to walk into all of that. But even more staggering as we read this is that Jesus says, I choose to make that decision so that you will be glorified god as i said at the beginning of the service the word glorify means to elevate someone's status or reputation so jesus is saying in what's about to unfold god my heart's desire is that you would elevate my status and reputation in some ways what jesus is saying there is help people to see me accurately we know that jesus's glory his status and reputation's been somewhat hidden But over the last few years, as Jesus has done his ministry, there's been these little glimpses of it when he's healed people in some of his teaching, in some of the experiences that the disciples have had with him. But Jesus says, help everyone to see me clearly. But he doesn't want that so that his own reputation is enhanced, so that people say, oh, Jesus is so amazing. At the end of the day, he says, glorify me so that you are glorified. Jesus' whole desire in what's about to happen is that God's status and reputation is enhanced, that God is made to look good. Isn't that amazing? Given all that Jesus knows that he's about to face, his thoughts are, Papa, I know it's time and I choose to do this because I want to make you look good. Jesus then continues... And uh, in some ways confuses us a little because he changes his tense, talks about himself in the third person and says, "'For you have given him authority over everyone. "'He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. "'And this is the way to have eternal life, "'to know you, the only true God, "'and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. "'I brought glory to you here on earth "'by completing the work you gave me to do. "'Now, Father, bring me into the glory "'that we shared before the world began.'" As we reflected on previously, it's astounding to recognise that Jesus has got authority over everything and everyone. Once again, if I was Jesus and I had authority over everything and everyone, I'd be like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go and do something else because I've got the power to do this. So let's choose any other plan except the one that's about to unfold. But he chooses to walk in this direction and says the reason for that is so that we can experience eternal life. What's fascinating is how Jesus describes what eternal life is and the way in which we can receive it. He says the way to have eternal life is to know God through Jesus. The only way for us to be able to receive eternal life is through Jesus. But sometimes we can think that that's a very exclusive way of Jesus talking about himself. But when we unpack it and recognise what Jesus is saying here is it's not up to you. It's not you working hard enough. It's not you proving yourself. It's not you being perfect enough that means that you get eternal life. It's only through me that's liberating, that's freeing for us to be able to receive it. What do we have to do to receive eternal life? Cultivate our relationship with God. It's as simple as that. But even more than that, what's interesting is that some translations actually have Jesus saying, this is eternal life, to know God that in actual fact, eternal life is simply about knowing God. That's the whole point of eternal life, living in an unending, complete relationship with God forever. I read this week someone describing eternal life as the uninterrupted, deepening knowledge and experience of God. Eternal life is the uninterrupted, deepening knowledge and experience of God. Eternal life, at the end of the day is our opportunity to just continue to get to know God more and more. And God is so incredible and so big and so vast that it will take us eternity to be able to actually get to know him. Then Jesus says something else that's staggering, bring me into the glory that we shared before the world began. Jesus says that in finishing the work that he's about to do, This will restore his status and his reputation as the one who was there at the beginning of creation. This is what God's plan always was. And Jesus was there from day one. That God's desire for us was to know him, to have a full, complete relationship with him for eternity. And so Jesus is so aware that what's about to unfold is not something that's going to bring defeat But in the end of the day, it's going to bring an incredible victory for Jesus. That's going to restore God's original plan. So this is the first part of Jesus's prayer. Again, remember where Jesus is at. He's about to have all these things unfold. And the key thing that he prays for is for God to be glorified, for God's status and reputation to be enhanced. But then Jesus shifts and he spends some time praying for his disciples. This is a fairly long chunk of uh, scripture that I'm going to read, but bear with me. Verse 19, Jesus prays. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you've given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world. They're staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they will be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. There's a lot there. Imagine if you were one of the disciples and you were listening to Jesus praying these things for you. It's incredible. So we can break it down a little bit and see some key themes that Jesus focuses on. First of all, he prays that his disciples are kept safe. We can sense the concern that he has for them about what they're about to face, which we spent some time talking about last week. And so Jesus prays that they will be protected and kept safe. But as we talked about last week, Jesus doesn't pray that they're protected and kept safe from the trials and troubles that they're going to face. He asks that they are protected and kept safe from the evil one. And why does he pray that? So that they will be able to stay united. It is a challenge for us to recognise that the biggest strategy that our spiritual enemy has got is disunity. That's his strategy and that's his plan. If he can keep us apart, if he can keep us suspicious of each other, if he can keep us fighting with each other, then we move away from everything that Jesus wants to do in us and through us. And so Jesus' prayer is that as they go through these difficult times, that they will be kept safe and protected from the strategies that the enemy would use to pull them apart in the midst of everything that's going to unfold. But Jesus also prays that his disciples will be filled with joy. And we've talked many times before about how joy is very different to happiness Happiness is completely contingent on our circumstances and what's happening to us and around us, but joy is something that's much, much deeper. This absolute confidence that God is with us, that God is at work in our lives, even in the midst of difficult circumstances that we go through. And so Jesus prays that his disciples would continue to have a sense of joy in the midst of everything that they're about to face. And then Jesus prays that they would know their purpose. He says, I'm sending them out into the world. In the same way as Jesus was sent out into the world to help people to discover his message and what he came to do, Jesus says, I'm now sending them out into the world. So help them to fulfil the purpose that you've got for them. But Jesus says, as I do that, I want you to make them holy. And the word holy just means set apart. And so Jesus is saying, in the same way as I'm holy and set apart by God to be able to do the things that he's got for me, I want you to set them apart as well. Set them apart so that they can fulfill the role that you've got for them to help other people to discover all that I have come to do and all that I have done. So Jesus has prayed that God would be glorified and his status would be enhanced as he moves forward. And that his disciples would be protected, given joy, and be able to pursue their purpose. But then Jesus finishes with these staggering words. And I'm amazed that this is where Jesus finishes his prayer as he's about to then enter into the garden and everything that's about to happen. In verse 20, Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Just pause there. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I pray not just for these disciples who are right in front of me right now, but everyone who's going to hear my message because of them. That includes every single one of us. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for me. Isn't that incredible? But what does Jesus pray? In verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is Jesus' prayer for us, that we would be one. That we would be united. But Jesus says that we would be so united that we would have the same level of unity that He has with the Father. So just think about that. When you think about the relationship between Jesus and God the Father, what do you think of? How close and intimate do you think of them? How united do you see them? Is there any way that the Father and the Son could be any closer than they are? Are there any barriers that you imagine between Jesus and the Father? Do you imagine Jesus and the Father ever having any little arguments about things, whether they're big things or small things? Our understanding is that the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are so united that we actually see them as one. And that's Jesus' prayer for us. That we would have so much of the same heart, the same mind, the same unity, that it's like the Father and the Son. Now, it's important to name, as we've talked about before, that there is a difference between unity and uniformity. When we think about the Father and the Son, we recognise that they are different. They're not uniform, but they have a sense of unity. That's the desire that Jesus has for us. It's not that we're all exactly the same. But that in our differences, in our diversity, we have such a sense of common values, common purpose, that we're focused on the same things, that we're so focused on what we have in common rather than what we have that's different, that we experience the same unity as the Father and the Son. And this really matters because Jesus says that the reason he prays for that unity is so that the world will know that he was sent by God And that we are loved by God as much as Jesus is. That is two absolutely staggering statements that Jesus makes. Our unity goes a long way to helping people to understand who Jesus is and to experience God's love. The way that we treat each other, the way that we talk about each other, the way that we work together, the way that we display our unity has a huge impact, first of all, on people's perceptions of Jesus. And I bet you that, that really, really challenges me because this matters. And imagine what would happen and what could have happened if our only reputation as churches was that we were groups of people who had such a heart of unity, such a love for each other, such a sense of common unity and purpose, that that was our key marker. When people thought about people who were part of churches that's what they thought of. I think this is a big part of the reason why the early church exploded in the way that it did. It wasn't because they put on fancy services, it wasn't because of the programs that they ran, it was their unity as these people who came from incredibly diverse backgrounds, Jewish and non-Jewish people, women, men, rich people, poor people, religious people, non-religious people, people from all different cultures and backgrounds were somehow able to come together and have such a sense of unity that people were like, I want a piece of that. That is amazing. (laughs) That's how the early church grew. So is that the reputation that we have as churches? And not just our church, but churches in general, in the way that we interact with and talk about and work with other churches. Is that how the people around us perceive what we're all about? Because Jesus says this is a huge part of how people discover and encounter him. But that's not all. Jesus also says that our unity goes a long way to impact how loved by God people feel. Jesus' desire is that our unity is so perfect and so close and so together that people actually experience God's love in such a powerful way that they understand their love by Jesus are loved by God in the same way as Jesus is. Now again, don't let that go by. Jesus wants us to understand that God loves you, loves every one of us, exactly the same way as he loves Jesus. Whatever your perceptions are of how much God loves Jesus, that's how much God loves you. Isn't that staggering? Mind-blowing. But sadly for lots and lots of people, The perceptions of God and God's love is definitely not that we're loved as much as Jesus. The way that we talk about each other, the way that we treat each other, the way that we think about each other, the way that we pray for each other, the way that we believe the best about each other, all of that has such a significant impact because as we do that, people have an opportunity to experience God's love in tangible ways. So there's a lot that Jesus prays in these final moments before he enters into the garden. And so I want to do something a little bit different to wrap up our message today before we move into our time of reflection, and that's to take this model that Jesus gives us and to actually use it as a prayer. And this is something that you're then going to have an opportunity to reflect on. What does it look like for you to take these different elements that Jesus has shown us and given us as you head into this week? in the way that you might like to pray for what God's up to for us as a church and to pray for unity. So I'm going to model that first and then we'll take some time to reflect together. So let's pray. God, our desire is that you are glorified, that you're made to look good, that your reputation and your status would be enhanced because of what people see in us of a church. As because of how we represent you as a church. We thank you that you give us the privilege of representing you and helping other people to see you clearly. I pray for each of the people who are a part of our church family. I pray for your protection over all of us, that you would keep us safe, especially as we enter into the uncertain times that continue to unfold in another week as we wrestle with the struggles that we've got We know that our spiritual enemy wants nothing more than to drag us down and to try and rip us apart. And so I pray that you would protect us, that you would keep us safe, that you would keep us aware of the strategies that the enemy wants to use and move in the complete opposite direction from them. I pray for a sense of joy for each one of us, that even when we're struggling, even when the sun isn't shining, we can recognise that you're still with us that you are still at work, that we do still have lots of things to be grateful for. We pray that one of the key markers of us as a church would be that you would give us a sense of joy. And I pray that you would help us to understand that you have sent us. I pray that you would remind us that you have made each of us holy. You've set each of us apart because each of us have a role to play in your kingdom, a role to play in helping people to discover you to understand your amazing, radical, incredible message of love. And I pray that you would unite us as a church. Thank you that your desire for us is that we would have the same unity that you have as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. One mind, one heart, one purpose. Thanks that that doesn't mean that we all have to be uniform, that we all have to be the same but your desire is that we have such a common heart and such a common awareness of what you've done for us that it's as if we're one. I pray that you would unite us with each other and that you would unite us with all of the other churches that we have the privilege of being able to work with so that people can see you, so that people can experience you, so that people can embrace you. And I pray that you would unite us so that we can experience your love in powerful ways. We thank you for this staggering truth that you love each one of us with the same love that you have for Jesus. And so I pray that our unity would give us opportunities to be able to tangibly experience what your amazing love looks like. Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful model of prayer that you give us. We thank you that these are the things that were on your mind and your heart in these final moments, before the events that we're going to reflect on and celebrate at the end of this week all occurred. We pray that you would help us to continue to understand what you've done for us and that you would help us to continue to spend time with you so that we can live out what you're calling us to live out. In your mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen. So as I said, I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what this looks like for you this week. So spend a bit of time thinking back over the things that we've talked about. How can this be helpful for you as you spend some time in prayer this week? Take some time to reflect and then we'll transition across to communion.